We started the series on the Holy Spirit back in Easter of this year, and we're getting ready to close this out as we're moving into the new uh, college year. And um, within this series, there's a, there's a lot of ways uh, that this morning is we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and his works. And in knowing the Holy Spirit, his person, his desires, his intents, hi Bernie, by the way, it's my son-in-law's mother there. Anyway, sorry about that. You can take that off the tape if you want, and we'll go back. <laughs> but knowing the person of the Holy Spirit as being God in all his glory and power and honor, um, within as we're doing the Holy Spirit and his works this morning, there's a lot of ways I could have gone this morning, and, but I feel that what we're going to look at this morning is consistent with what we've been covering over the last few months with Pastor Brian and others. To understand God's mind and desires and how we fit into the works of the Spirit, it's really important that we understand, first of all, the larger storylines in the Scripture and in time that we're going to go through this morning. So as we're going to look at one of the works of the Holy Spirit, we want to start at creation. So I'd like to go ahead and uh, go to Genesis 1, chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2 and also chapter 2, verse 7. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then in chapter 2, verse 7, we read that the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. So within the storyline of the scriptures, the entire galaxy, this planet, the creation of man, we see the spirit of the Lord breathing into man and making him a living soul. And throughout this huge timeline that God created from eternity, we see galaxies, space, moon, the planets, the earth, all the foundations of the earth were formed at the Holy Spirit's command. And through his own wisdom and understanding, everything we see was made by his invisible power of his might. And it's by faith and trust with our minds and our hearts of this fact that allows us to believe and enter into all the other works of the Spirit that we'll look at this morning. And so as the creation of mankind, we see the Spirit of the Lord breathing into man, making him a living soul, which is different from all other creation because we're made in his image, visibly representing his personality, desires, and intents. So what are some of the main purposes of the Spirit's work in making us as men and women and children and all other creation that we see throughout his word? Well, I believe one of the key purposes is really to show God's glory, his power, his pleasure and desire that he wants to be carried out. Let me read to you from the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 11. And this is in the heavenly scene. All the angels, all creation is worshiping God and the Lord Jesus. And this is what it says. Let's go to the next slide. 
Oh, I'm sorry, I don't have that slide. I'm going to read it to you. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And when you think about this verse and you hear that verse, all creation really is for his pleasure and his desires. Even us as men and women, we live, we move, and even our very breath is through him and controlled by him. Throughout his word, we see men and women and children born for certain times and seasons, and his purposes worked out through each one of these individuals in meticulous detail. I just want to say in this room here, there are no accidents. There's no oops. There's no mistakes. Each one of you were formed and shaped in your mother's womb by the Spirit of the Lord. And you are made for this time in creation and for purposes that are beyond your even your imaginations. He planned for you even before the world was created. He had you in mind. So no matter what somebody may have said to you, your mother, your dad, other people, you're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You were made for this time and this season, and God formed and shaped you. And whether you know this person of God or not, you still are who you are because he made you for himself and for his pleasure. That's really important. So on the one hand, when we look at creation, and when you came here today, I mean, look at where we live. It's incredible. All of this was made by his hand, by the Spirit of God. So on one hand, we're grasping this incredible spiritual reality that helps, and when we do grasp it, and we understand it with our mind, and we grab it with our heart and enter into that, it helps deliver us from our own self-absorption and our narcissistic pride. But when we see creation and we see God doing that, we also have a lot of questions raised about the death and destruction that we see in creation and even in our lives, our personal bodies, our friends, our families, when we see death and disease and accidents that occur. So the second main purpose of creation of the Spirit in looking at this may not answer our specific questions about causes and reasons for these things that happen, but it will give us a long view of God's intent and desire and how you and I can fit into that. Because remember, after the rebellion and fall of man with sin and Satan's work entering into this world with destruction, we see throughout Scripture, as you read the storyline, that God's intent was to recreate, renew, heal, and restore creation and people's lives through his Spirit. We see the Spirit of God restoring God's kingdom of life or Satan's kingdom of destruction and darkness in people's lives, in nations, and all over creation. And even after times that we read about uh, in the scriptures, when God makes a decision to tear down or destroy something, he either restores, he recreates, or he makes something new. Even in the last judgment that's talked about in the book of Revelation, 
as terrible and destructive as it is, and it is terrible to read what's going to happen on this earth in the future. However, we see at the end God creating a new heaven and a new earth, bringing restoration and healing. So we continually see him working out throughout man's history. Now, I'm going to stop in a minute and just make a little side note on this. One of the things that sometimes in our devotions that we read in the scriptures or we spend time with the Lord, sometimes it's hard to see the larger picture, to see the larger, the big E on the E chart, the the larger timeline of what the Spirit of God is doing. So I want to recommend something to you. How many of you um, have heard of the one-year Bible? Okay, fair amount of you. Um, If you're not familiar with this, this is something that was designed by a a group of men and women that wanted to bring out the bigger picture within a year's time and make it easy to read the Bible in a year. And the one-year Bible came about. Every day, a passage from the Old and New Testament, Psalms and Proverbs, you can read this. And it takes about 15 minutes or so to read that and go through it. And it also has an audio component with, an online, with the online version. But what it does is it helps give us a more complete, full picture of what God is doing, what he's like, what that looks like in history. And it also gets us out of our little realm of history that we live in and see how that we fit in to God's bigger picture over time in eternity. So uh, if you want to buy it, you can go down to the Bible bookstore, you can order, order it online, or if you want to just simply go online and get it, I've put up the, the URL um, address of that, www.oneyearbibleonline.com, and I'm saying this for the purpose of the podcast, slash weekly one-year readings hyphenated with all those words. So if you're on your smartphone or you've got a smart tablet or you just want to write it down, um, go ahead and take a look at that. I'll give you a minute to put that in. So, this timeline of the creation of God, the Spirit of God creating and the work of the Holy Spirit, finally at the right time of history, we see the Holy Spirit doing an incredible, probably the most unique and powerful work of creation that's ever been done, beyond the galaxies, the suns, the planets, you and I. We see the Holy Spirit in Luke chapter 3, and I'm not going to spend time going through that scripture, but if you want to jot it down and look at it and read the story later, you're familiar with it, I'm sure, the Christmas story. But the Holy Spirit comes upon a virgin, and the power of the Holy Spirit overshadows her, and God the Son is born a man. And this act of creation by him will never ever be done again. And so we see Jesus, Jesus Christ, growing, becoming a man, baptized, and then anointed with the Holy Spirit to do the works of God. Let's go to the Acts slide here. And this is Acts chapter 10, verses 37 through 38. And this is recounting these verses. Someone is preaching a message at this point, and he's talking about the Savior. And he says, You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee, after the baptism that John proclaimed. This is at Jesus' baptism. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. 
So here's a concept that God's Spirit never ceased working. Jesus simply entered in to the Father's work and was anointed to do that. On one occasion after Jesus had healed a paralyzed man, and this occurred on what was called a no-work day under Jewish law. It was called the Sabbath day. Couldn't do any work. Jesus said this. Let's go to that slide. John chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. This is the healed lame man, the paralyzed man. Jesus sent him away. So the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, My father is always working until now, and I'm working. Notice the relationship aspect of this verse and the idea of doing the works of God. Just sort of think about that a second, because we're going to look at deeper at this concept in a few minutes. But carrying on the storyline of the work of the Holy Spirit here in Jesus, Jesus finally at the end offers up his body and blood to God the Father on the cross and through the Holy Spirit offers this into heaven for the sins of the entire world. He dies and then by the Holy Spirit is raised from the dead. You can see this in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 14 and Romans 8, 11. But when Jesus raised, was risen from the dead, it proved that our sins can be forgiven by God and that his word can be trusted because there's never been a man that rose from the dead that didn't die again. But here is Jesus in front of us raised by the Holy Spirit. And it gives us confidence that we'll be raised from the dead as well. And now this storyline is when you and I now come into the picture in God's larger storyline of creation. Because now, instead of just individuals experiencing the Spirit of God like we read in the, in the storyline of the Old Testament, we see that everyone, man, women, and children, can interact with the living God and have the living God enter into them. Because we see now by the Holy Spirit in John chapter 3, 3 through verses 5, that we're born again by the Spirit of God coming upon us and recreating our spirit that's been dead because of the destruction of sin and death and rebellion. Wonderful news. And in following Jesus as disciples, the Holy Spirit's work of creation occurs in us, such as a renewed mind, a strengthened inner person that's restored, Healed relationships. What a powerful work of the Spirit when that happens. Healed relationships. Wonderful. So many things to look at. But, for the purpose of this morning, he also creates in us good works that we enter in to the works of God. Now, just for a second, when you hear doing work for God, and that may be how you interpret what I'm saying, is, is just... You need to hear this. Because some of you, a lot of you, I know, work very, very hard. And in fact, you just think, you don't know how hard I work. <laughs> I'm up at dawn. I don't go to bed till 11. I barely keep my head above water. I work so hard. I'm so tired. So I can't even think about 
quote, working for God. But I want to read a couple of verses about the, the works of God that God's created us in, and then we'll explain some things. So let's look at the next slide. This is Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. And reiterating the story of Jesus pouring his life out for us, it says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So you see, he lays this out. God's mercy, kindness, the Holy Spirit being poured out on us. And then he says, this saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things as he's writing to Titus, one of his, uh, Paul is writing to Titus, one of his sons in the faith, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. And let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Let's look at the next slide and the next scripture which comes from Colossians 1.10. And speaking of us as the people of God, he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, notice these verses as well as what Jesus was talking about earlier in that other slide. That the New Testament, the truth of God's word, talks about the believer doing good works but other words that are associated with doing good works are words like this, like we just read, fruit, grace, faith, love. Every time you read about good works or doing works, it's in relationship to these words, which means relationship, being connected to the living God and to each other. In fact, all the translations of the Bible that translate word for word, it is never taught about us working for God. Never, ever, ever. It's working in him and with him, which is a very crucial distinction. Because the question is, do you find yourself working for God? In our own human energy, you can't. It's very frustrating. But let's look at Matthew chapter 11 to see how this works, working in partnership with Jesus and the Spirit of Jesus. Let's look at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Now, a lot of you are familiar with this verse, but with the works of God, this is very important. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are laboring and are heavily loaded, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. For you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, does that encourage you? <laughs> Obviously, unless you're a farmer and you've worked with teams of horses and oxen, the idea of a yoke is something that 
It's kind of like you have to form a picture of this. But obviously, in, in agrarian times, uh, you'd have a team of oxen yoked together with this wooden thing that would go around their necks, or a team of horses that would be put together to pull a plow, to do the work, to pull loads. This is what Jesus is inviting those who follow him into. Because remember, it's, it's the spirit of Jesus that's doing the work. We've seen up to this point the works of the spirit in creation and doing the works of God are dependent upon him and not dependent upon us. That should be good news. Because he's obviously, we work hard. We are driven in our society. But Jesus is saying, look, you that are laboring under a deep load, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke. Learn about me. I'm gentle and lonely heart. Find rest for your souls. Never in this picture is, okay, here's, here's what I've given you to do. Go do it. It's all about, no, be linked to me. I'm carrying the heavy load. Work with me. That should encourage you. That should give you strength. Because, yes, toiling in the Lord sometimes is very draining. And sometimes you are drawn out in doing that. However, the energy of the working of the Spirit of Jesus carrying the load strengthens us. Now, a good test to understand whether or not in your heart, in your mind, you're working for God or trying to do good works is to ask yourself the question, are you being driven? Are you driven by your own motivations? Are you driven by others' expectations? Are you driven by your own desire to perform? Or are you shepherded and guided by the Spirit of God and by the Spirit of Jesus? Take a minute to ask yourself that question. I'll wait. In fact, Lord, we are sometimes so heavily loaded. Lord, would you give us discernment to understand where we're driving the bus rather than you shepherding and guiding us? God, help us. Jesus, show us how to come into this rest that you're calling us into. We need you desperately. Thank you. In fact, as we look at Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, and I'll have you read that for later, but just jot this down. It talks about the Sabbath rest that God has prepared for his people. And in chapters 3 and 4, he says, look at the promises of God. Look at what God has said. And he says, today, if you hear his voice, please don't harden your heart, as others did in the past and were destroyed. But rather, come to an obedience of trust and faith in my promises and in my word. Because when we enter into the rest of God and enter into the work of God, the work of the Spirit, we are ceasing from our own labors and entering into his works. Now, whether you own a business, where you work, whether you go to college, whatever you do, remember, it's God that's given you that place. And he wants to perform his work in you and through you while you have rest in your soul. Because what are we really working for? 
And that has to be another question we ask. What's the aim of our labors? I want to go to the next slide. And in this story here out of John chapter 6, verses 25 through 28, Jesus has just fed 5,000 men along with women and children, which could be 7,000 to 8,000 people, by multiplying loaves of fishes, a loaf of bre- a couple loaves of bread and a few fish. Literally seven to 8,000 individuals are fed at one moment, a miracle of power, a work of power. Jesus gets into the boat with his disciples, goes to the other side of the lake, and while they're doing that, all the crowds run around the, the edge of this lake of Galilee to come around, and which is where we pick up this verse on this story here. And when they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, where'd you come from? When did you come here? Jesus answered to them and said, Truly I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw the signs, speaking of the loaves and the fishes, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You were fed. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So after they heard this from Jesus, they said, well then, What must we do to do the works of God? Jesus answers in this this next verse. Can you go to that slide there? And this is really crucial, guys. This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. It isn't anything that you have to do to enter into the works of God except to give yourself to the one who's been sent, who's Jesus. Believing in him is the relinquishing of our own sets of desires, our own sets of labors, our own sets of drivenness that can drive us and exchange it for a place of rest and laboring with power by believing in him. You want to do the works of God? Simply trust and believe in him. Simply follow him is what Jesus is really saying here. Because you see in this verse, most of these people, after seeing the works of the Spirit through Jesus, were only interested in maybe making having their basic needs met. And aren't we sometimes really the same in coming to God, walking with God? Sometimes Jesus can become nothing more than just a Walmart superstore, a one-stop person for all my needs. That's what Jesus is. I mean, I've got to be honest. I do the same. Don't you? But he's so much more. He's so much more. His works in person are so much more, and so are you. You are called to so much more. You and I have been appointed and called again for this season of time, and you are made for so much more. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 34. This is after Jesus had been talking with the woman at the well. Again, you can look at the story. I'm kind of shrinking this down to a shorter version here. Jesus has been talking to this woman at the well, has 
ministered to her. She's gone off back to her town to tell them that she's found the Messiah. And they had been working for days. They were tired and hungry. So was Jesus. The disciples come up and, 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 and bring him food and say, Master, eat. He says, no, I, I don't need to eat. What do you mean you don't need to eat? Did you get something to eat somewhere? Do you read the story? But look at what Jesus says to them. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. When you are in union with him and working what God has already been working, and you're entering into his work, it literally becomes like food. It feeds you in the deepest part of your soul. Satisfies you like no other work can do. Because you're entering into something that's larger than yourself. It's something that has eternal value. The work that you enter into. And you have an eternal reward. I hope that encourages you. I hope that just drives you into a deeper place with him. Now, doing the good works of the Spirit, we can see many examples in the Scripture. We see in the book of Acts a, a woman named, named Dorcas. Uh, again, terrible name for a woman. <sighs> you would never name your girl Dorcas. I probably wouldn't either. But Dorcas is doing all these good works. She's you know, feeding the poor. She's sewing garments for people that don't have any. And she dies and she gets raised back to life. And then we see a, a woman that is a widow. She, she's widowed. This is in, in Luke's uh, account of the Gospels, where she is, uh, lost her husband at an early age. And for the next 50 years, she, all she's been is a prayer warrior in secret, doing this wonderful, incredible work with the Spirit of praying for Israel and waiting for the Messiah. And, and this church is filled with people that do wonderful, good works of God and show it out of their good lives of tenderness, compassion, caring for those who are for sick, and, and taking care of the wounded. And sometimes a good work can look just holding the hand of someone who's lost a husband or a child and just crying with them. That is a good work of the Spirit. And this church is full of that. But I'm going to encourage you into something even greater here. When we look at the works of power through Jesus, we see incredible miracles. We see the dead being raised. We see crippled limbs growing. We see demons being driven out. And we're amazed by that. And, we, as, as, and as we should. This is the works of power that have a greater purpose. And I want to go back to Matthew chapter 11. This is the same chapter we just read about. In fact, a few verses past what we're going to look at is where we read that verse, Come unto me, all you that are loaded down and heavily laden, and I'll give you rest. But this is Jesus speaking to the crowd. And he's speaking to these cities that have seen these wonderful works of power. And he says he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Because they didn't change their mind and turn around because of what they had seen. He says, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which were ancient cities that were destroyed, 
They would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, which is one of the major cities that he did works of power, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you'll be brought down to hell, to Hades. Let's go to the next slide. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, now you're probably more familiar with Sodom and Gomorrah and the story and the destruction that went in there. Jesus is saying, if the mighty works that I'd done in your city, Capernaum, had been done in Sodom, it would have stayed until this day. And Jesus says, I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. And so we see God's purposes to show the mighty works of power are to bring, first of all, an end to human energy which can mimic God's work. Because when a person is healed, the dead are raised, demons are being driven out, those are things only God can do. And our own human weaknesses can never begin to accomplish. And the purpose of that is to have people change their minds about God and follow him. And I want to encourage you that we are called into this same thing that Jesus did. John 14. Chapter, verses 10 through 12. As we read this, I want you to hear what Jesus is saying and believe him. Because Jesus is clearly telling us in this verse that through our believing in him and giving our lives to him, the very same works of power that he did are going to be happening through us. Jesus says this. He says, he's speaking to his disciples at this, in this context, those who are following him. He says, don't, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I don't speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Now, earlier in John, Jesus has said, whoever believes in me will have eternal life. Was he just speaking to the group of men and women at that time? What do you think? No. Whoever hears his voice, whoever trusts and relies on him has eternal life. That's for you and me. A few chapters later, Jesus is using the very same language for us to hear. If you really believe in me, we'll also do the same works that I'm doing. You see, just as I said at the beginning, you doing work for God will never cut it. But entering into what he's doing, that's a different story altogether. That's amazing. How would this look in normal life? Let me give you an example. Many years ago when I was playing baseball, one of my legs could carry me and I didn't rip out my groin and everything else with it like I've done before. I was on a softball team in Southern California with a group of other guys. It was a church team. 
and we were practicing one day, and all of a sudden there was this huge accident where a girl had been run into right along the road where we were practicing. So we threw down our gloves, ran across the field, jumped the fence, and walked into this scene of just absolute devastation. There's the girl lying there. We can see her lying there. The car is off to the side, crumpled against a, a stone pillar. The guy is staggering around. The mother's run out of the house screaming and crying. Neighbors are gathering around. And so we, we run into this scene, and we, and we go to the girl, and the girl's just lying there. She's not breathing. She's got an open gash on her head that's not bleeding. I mean, to us, she looks dead. I don't know how you would interpret death, but she's dead as far as I'm concerned. We look at each other. What are you going to do? Well, let's pray. Let's ask God to come. Let's ask the Lord to come do my work here. So we just get down on our knees and start praying over this little girl. And after about a minute or two, all of a sudden, blood starts coming up. She coughs. She wakes up. She's crying. And we're like, did you see that? Yeah. Isn't that incredible? And, and we and we'd like turn around and like we're ready to... You know, obviously, maybe we think other people have seen this and we're ready to hear them cry, what must we do to be saved? And we look and nobody's seen anything. They're still staggering around, crying, and all this commotion. We're going, what do we do? Rejoice, look, she's alive. I mean, it was absolutely amazing. That's in the midst of a baseball practice, for goodness sakes. What I'm trying to convey here is, there's more to the story, but I'm not going to go into it. Ask me some questions later. I mean, isn't that amazing? I don't know where your theology is on that, but that was a work of power by God. What, I mean, what Jesus is encouraging us here is that the very spirit of power that was on Jesus, because remember, he only worked by what the power of the Spirit did on him as a human being. You and I have the same Holy Spirit residing in us and upon us. And he's calling us in to be ready at any moment to enter into what he's doing in works of power. Yes, good works, as we just talked about, but also works of power. Now, is it scary? Is it intimidating? Yeah, absolutely it is. Because you never know what's sure what's going to happen. But your neighbors, the people you work with, your friends, people you go to school with, don't they need to see the works of power of Jesus? Is our faith based on word alone? No. Our faith and trust is in the power of God. And God is more than willing and able to work through you the same way. Let's look at one last scripture, and I'll have the band come up, worship band come up while I'm doing this. This is John chapter 9, and this is Jesus healing a blind man. And as he passed by, he saw a blind man from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus answered, it's not this man that sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We, and notice the word, the term we. In some translations, and I believe it's an accurate translation, it says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. 
Night is coming when no man can work, and as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now remember, in another place, Jesus says to those who follow him and to us that we are the light of the world. Jesus said very something very interesting to you and I. He says, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. I just want to encourage you, as we see God working from eternity, we see the Holy Spirit working, I want to encourage you and draw you in to partnership with the Spirit of Jesus. I would ask you that you would find yourself given over to what God is doing. And that you would be challenged by this, but spurred on with hope and trust. Because again, I'll restate the fact that each one of you in this room was born for specific purposes and plans for this time in history. You are not some obscure person working that nobody notices. God has placed you in a specific time such as this. And he is intimately aware of you and is calling you into greater things.